Are you on the go and only have a short window to peek at the local headlines? We've got you covered. The KOSU Daily Podcast brings you Oklahoma news every weekday in a condensed and accessible way. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the KOSU Daily to get the scoop on the latest Oklahoma news. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. The Oklahoma Highway Patrol is starting to give tickets to drivers with tribal tags if they live outside of the nation's borders. The director from Governor Stead and the Department of Public Safety appears to abandon decades of precedent in honoring the tribal tags. It's also led to new questions and angst by tribal members who fear driving on Oklahoma roads. Neva, why this sudden move? Good question. Um, I, I think that's one to, to ask the governor and certainly one that uh, clearly took all of the tribal leaders uh, uh, they were shocked. I mean, you look at the uh, look at uh, what was said. I mean, here you have a situation, as you say, Michael. I mean, this is this is decades old, and all of a sudden you have the Highway Patrol with a memo basically saying if you stop someone, they have a tribal tag, they're outside their jurisdiction, write them a ticket. In the instance of the first one that came to light. In the media, it was a $245 ticket, not something to sneeze at. Mm-hmm. So um, I, th- I think we have, a he- we have this situation where, once again, shockwaves throughout Indian country. We have more questions than answers and certainly another fight brewing that is not going to go away anytime soon. Ryan. Well, it was hard to imagine. What's the next thing that the state administration can do to offend tribal nations in the, uh, in the state of Oklahoma? No one, I think, would have even guessed that this would have been on the table. But here we are, as Neva said, $248 ticket. That is, that's a lot of money for, for most people in the state of Oklahoma. That's, that's a big ticket. And it does abandon decades of precedent. I think that uh, the other thing is that's no surprise is that the tribal leaders that have been contacted by the media on this have all said they were not consulted by the governor's uh, people. Uh, his team did not reach out to these tribal nations and say, hey, you need to let your citizens of your nation know to expect this. Because with there was no notice, there was, there was no consultation, there were no negotiations about what to possibly do with these existing compacts. And I think that you know one of the things that these tribal nations should do is prepare compacts, prepare proposed contract compacts, send those to the governor, send those to the legislature, because a lot of Oklahomans don't realize that a lot of these tribes are already doing things with this money that they're collecting. I think the Citizen Potawatomi Nation, for example, they collect, um, you know, most of those proceeds go to the school districts within the nation. You know, not, not tribal schools, schools that everybody goes to. Um, and those are things that I think most Oklahomans aren't aware that this decades of precedent has benefited the state of Oklahoma. I think that a lot of the concern here and a lot of the uh, kind of the, the political argument is that the state is losing millions of dollars when in fact most of that money is already being reinvested in services that Oklahomans already enjoy. So... Uh, it's important to remember that the troopers that are pulling folks over, um, what they're saying is that you get this ticket if you're not garaging your vehicle or you're parking your vehicle overnight within your tribal district, as a, within your tribal boundaries. Um, as I would say to most of my clients, whenever they ask, don't volunteer information to law enforcement. That doesn't mean you have to be rude. You can be very respectful. But just, you know, if a, if a trooper or a police officer is asking you where you park your car at night, 
you don't have to answer that question. Make the state carry that burden. In the meantime, while we're waiting on a possibly more responsible compacting process. And that, and I think that does beg the question. The fact that there was no conversation with the tribal leaders mm-hmm. prior to this coming into play, um, would there not have been an opportunity, as, as you talked about last week, Ryan, would there not have been an opportunity to get the stakeholders at the table, to get folks to sit down and say, okay, Yes, uh, this this situation warrants us having a conversation and we need this information. And clearly there may have been uh, an opportunity to expand beyond uh, the handful of tribes that already have the compacts related to the the, uh, license tags and be able to avoid not only these bad headlines, but this ongoing litigation probably that's going to ensue. Yeah, I think that the the choices here that the state is looking at are is another round of litigation that the state will probably lose uh, at some point, or at the, at the very least, will just complicate and cloud things and make things uncertain for Oklahomans and tribal members and people that are both, um, or a responsible compacting process. And it seems like we just move further and further away from uh, a, a, a legitimate conversation between the state of Oklahoma leadership and the governor's administration and tribal leaders uh, to working towards some sort of a, a negotiated compact. That doesn't seem to really be on the table. and. Every week we walk further away from that. You know, and in 2011, when they had this uh, state law, uh, mm-hmm. they basically, what happened was it directed the Commissioner of Public Safety uh, to consult and to develop a protocol to do exactly mm-hmm. what we're talking about, which apparently never happened. So I think lawmakers are going to have a lot of questions to ask these folks and try to get some resolution sooner rather than later. And the question goes to what, why, what about other out-of-state tags what about the i cannot drive a day without seeing temporary tags yeah. that are way expired i mean when are we going to start cracking down on those if we're worried about losing money there's more ways to lose money than that well, that's why the, you know this seems like targeted enforcement yeah and and is, I, I which think, is which is illegal you know putting you know regular people uh in on as pawns on this mm-hmm. political chessboard that we see being played out and the state loses every time. The people of Oklahoma lose every time. The tribal citizens in Oklahoma lose every time under the status quo. There, something has got to change. We cannot litigate this kind of stuff forever. We can't let people live in limbo forever. Um, you know, we have to come to the table, and you can't do that if you're catching folks by surprise rather than calling them up and saying, let's let's sit down and let's have you know candid conversations and r- arrive at some solution that benefits all of us. And there's another layer to throw on the table with this, and that's the turnpike travelers. I mean, the point mm-hmm. was made that uh, if, if in fact, uh, tribal tags, if we're racking up this $5 million or whatever they said over 60 days that they were calculating, uh, then they then they clearly uh, know that they've got an issue that should have been uh, should have been addressed in a different manner than what we're seeing roll out right now. Right. The state Supreme Court is calling for the temporary suspension of three anti-abortion laws. The measures require abortion doctors to be board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, with the other bills putting additional restrictions on medication abortions. The hold comes as the legislation is facing legal challenges. Ryan, what does this mean for the lawsuits? Well, it, it just puts things on hold. Uh, it prevents the enforcement of these laws while the litigation moves forward. It doesn't mean anything about the necessary merits of the lawsuits. Uh, you know, those are still yet to be determined. I mean, this goes back to the Supreme Court's decision earlier this year where they found that in Oklahoma's due process clause of the state constitution, that there is a right for pregnant women in the state of Oklahoma to access abortion care 
if their life is in danger. And that's, you know, that was the, the court said, you know, going back and looking at the history of the state, looking at the history of territorial government uh, in Oklahoma, looking at the laws that Oklahoma's laws were based upon, that they found this historical precedent for that. And, and it's, it's very grounded in Oklahoma law and Oklahoma history. Um, and so when they found that, I think that what has to happen now is every abortion law has to be reconciled with, does that interfere with a woman's right to access abortion care in the event that her life is in danger? And what can't happen is you can't put a burden on a doctor that makes it so difficult for them to make that determination that a life is in danger, that they have to choose between violating a state constitution, uh, constitutional law or state statute, uh, or upholding a woman's constitutional state constitutional right to access the abortion care and save her life. If you put doctors in that predicament, you endanger women in the state of Oklahoma. And so the court said, you know, we're going to put these on hold. Uh, we'll let the trial court consider this uh, further. Ultimately, it will end up back in the Supreme Court's lap. I don't want to just throw out Justice Cogger had this, this great concurring opinion uh, because one of the t- dissenting opinions said that uh, any, any uh, argument or any, uh, any statute that proceeds under the proposition that the life of the unborn is unworthy of consideration is, def- is defective. Justice Conger wrote back in a very simple one-sentence concurring opinion. She said, any analysis of an abortion statute that proceeds under the proposition that the life of the mother is unworthy of consideration is defective. Neva. Well, I mean, you're right, Ryan. This is <laughs> that the court is going to ultimately, the state mm-hmm. Supreme Court will have this back. There, uh, It was interesting that the court did say uh, in this ruling that t- speaking about the uh, the life of the mother, the issues that uh, that you just outlined, that absolute certainty is not required. Uh, however, they said that the mere possibility or speculation uh, of it is insufficient. So there are so many so many elements to this, and and as we've seen for decades, I mean the conversation that winds up in the courts related to these issues, uh, uh, and depending on which side of uh, which side of that argument that you're on, I think what we're seeing is that uh, there's going to be a clear focus on the court moving forward after having this uh, having this stay and trying to get some resolution. And probably in the interim, there'll be more more lawsuits uh, thrown on the table that will add to the elements of parsing this uh, over and over and over again. And I think we'll be seeing this for decades to come. This is not something that's going to be resolved in the courts uh, anytime soon. And I think it's something that uh, Oklahomans will continue to watch with great interest. The state Supreme Court denies a request by Superintendent Ryan Walters to join in the lawsuit against the Catholic Charter School. Walters wanted to intervene in the challenge filed by Attorney General Gettner Drummond regarding the legality of providing state funds to a religious charter school. Justice inv- justices invited Walters to instead file a friend of the court brief by November 21st. Neva, are you surprised by the high court's decision? Not at all. And I think uh, I think what uh, what we saw was uh, the invitation by the court for Superintendent Walters, if he wants to file a friend of the brief, uh, a friend of the court brief that he has until uh, uh, later this month to get that done. So uh, no surprise. And I think that uh, this is a classic case of uh, someone kind of almost late to the party trying to invite themselves into this conversation. And I think uh, Attorney General Drummond has made it very clear um, where the where this uh, where this stands, and I think as we see it move forward, um, again we'll watch with great interest not only for what the implications are in Oklahoma, but what they are. 
from the national perspective as well. Ryan. Well, I think that, you know, General Drummond's motion to keep Ryan Walters out of this case is is absolutely correct. You know, we have uh, the, uh, the attorney general saying, I'm not going to allow you, Ryan Walters, to step into this case and try to make it into some sort of a media opportunity for yourself. Uh, in the brief that the attorney general's office filed, he says, that at worst, the movements, and in this case it's Ryan Walters, do not know their relative role, uh, their role relative to school funding. And he says, at best, uh, the movements, Ryan Walters, misrepresent their role and severely strain the relief sought by petitioner in an attempt to insert themselves into the action. I mean, he goes on to say that that this is uh, that the the arguments here are bizarre, uh, and they really are. Uh, you know, and you know, a couple of points there. You know, this is a really expensive press release uh, that the super the state superintendent has subsidized with our tax dollars, or at least we can presume that he has, and we know that he spent some tax dollars on it because his lawyer within the State Department of Education is on this brief, but they also have outside counsel. You know, one of them is a nonprofit group. I assume that they probably did this without any sort of funding, but one of them is a, a law firm right here in Oklahoma City that they outsourced these arguments to and the, this briefing to. I'd like to know how much they paid these folks. You know, how much per hour did we pay a law firm in Oklahoma to make what the attorney general characterized as bizarre arguments before the court that the court ultimately said, no, we're not going to buy the, the superintendent's effort to, you know, use this as an opportunity to confuse issues here. You know, there are very straightforward issues that need to be resolved. If you want to file a friend of the court brief, go ahead and do that. Um, and, and I will see, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the, you know, the lawyers here will love to file a friend of the court brief because that, that means that, you know, they get more work. Uh, but we'll see what that friend of the court brief says. Uh, in the meantime, this this idea that Ryan Walters is somehow this champion of religious liberty, I'd love him to see. To, I'd love to see if he would go to bat right now if this charter school, this virtual charter school proposal, was for atheists. Maybe it was, maybe it was the Carl Sagan Academy uh, and, instead of you know a Catholic uh, charter school that's being proposed. Would he go to bat for them as well? I ser- I sincerely doubt it. Well, and here's the other question I think that comes uh, to bear on this is. What's going to happen based on this ruling? I mean, are we seeing the stage set where Superintendent Walters and the Board of Education decide we're going to move forward, we're going to fund these folks, we're going to do what we choose, and let's see if the lawmakers or anyone else uh, want to step into the arena and have this big fight, or will they just uh, move forward until someone tries to... uh, uh, get it back in the courts and try to uh, try to stop the process and and have this again another debate on another element to this whole issue of the funding and whether or not it is constitutional whether or not it should take place and who all of the players are. You know, that's a really good point. The legislature could step in here and and put the brakes on this entire deal because right now this seems inevitable that it's going to end up in front of the United States Supreme Court. That's, you know, the, the Decades goal. Decades away, potentially. Dec- yeah, 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 I mean, or, I mean, if they fast-track this thing, it could be it could be relatively soon. I mean, relative in terms of litigation, right? Uh, but I think that we're, you know, we're, we're seeing that that's really, I, I believe, the motive uh, of, of the folks that have been pushing this issue is to press this issue in front of the United States Supreme Court and to get precedent at a national level. But the legislature could step in and, and they could pass laws that say, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to, you know, they've already eliminated the virtual charter school board itself. Mm-hmm. You know, they could step in themselves and pass a law that just puts the brakes on this entire deal. And uh, that possibly could be the best solution in terms of saving all of us, you know, time, money, angst, and the potential for a Supreme Court decision that could go either way. Uh, you know, be careful what you ask for. Mm-hmm. State Superintendent Ryan Walters signs an agreement allowing Chinese language classes to be held in Oklahoma schools. 
Walters has raised concerns about Mandarin being taught with funding from the Communist Party, including testimony before Congress in September. So, Ryan, what is different now? Uh, well, who knows what's I mean, what he's trying to say is that he's cooperating with Taiwan. Taiwan is, uh, you know, not part of the Communist Chinese Party. You know, they are, you know, they, they are a separate uh, entity unto themselves. Um, let's not pretend for a moment that Ryan Walters understands the international implications and political niceties of the uh, the relationship between Taiwan, the uh, Republic, uh, uh, the Republic of China and Taiwan, the Chinese Communist Party uh, and the United States and, and every other international uh, actor that is interested in everything from the silicon uh, chip manufacturing that's happening in Taiwan to the Taiwanese Strait. Um, let's not pretend that he understands any of that because, I, you know, prove me wrong. You know, send me an email, let me know. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to know what, what you think about that. But I, I doubt that there's a, a real calculation there. This is an opportunity for him to try to have his cake and eat it too. We're going to be able to teach Mandarin in the state of Oklahoma. And I got all my press releases out about communist China uh, to try to help build my national profile, give me an opportunity to test in front, testify in front of Congress, throw one of the state's largest school districts under the bus without any sort of evidence. We're talking about Tulsa there, of course. Um, this is, again, you know, part of Ryan Walters' continued effort to build a profile for himself uh, that doesn't have anything to do with the core uh, administration of the State Department of Education. It, it is just mind-boggling to think that he has time to do these things uh, whenever he doesn't even have the time to return the phone calls, text messages, and emails of, say, the cabinet secretary that oversaw him that recently resigned because the superintendent would not return her phone calls. Neva. You know, here's what's interesting, though. What Ryan Walters is doing is renewing uh, an agreement that's been in place for almost a decade. Right. I mean, it's it's the State Department of Education and Taiwan. They have encouraged these student exchanges, uh, other uh, educational partnerships for, I think, since 2014. Um, and you have this, um, basically, this renewal of this agreement now where uh, the talking point seems to be from the superintendent that now Oklahoma can bring these Mandarin teachers from Taiwan and kind of add this additional uh, element to the education piece. Uh, but when you look at it, I think you're right, Ryan. It is a, it, it's kind of this continuing climbing up the ladder, starting with sep in September when, in, when Ryan Walters went to Congress, testified before the, uh, uh, the House Education Subcommittee, and brought, a, brought in all of his assertions about believing that uh, the Chinese Communist Party had really tried to influence Oklahoma schools, specific to uh, the one that he really focused on with Tulsa. But the long and the short of all of this is what's really new in this in this conversation, other than it's another talking point to throw out there from the superintendent uh, with really not anything new in the equation. And I think, uh, again, we're getting almost this barrage weekly of these of these uh, talking points or these uh, uh, news releases from the superintendent from the Department of Education. But I think uh, when you start to really analyze them, sometimes it's nothing more than uh, just a kind of a, a retooling of what's already been said over and over. That certainly seems to be setting himself up, Ryan, for a run for governor in 2026. You know, I think that he's trying to build this this idea that he's got, you know, credibility that is, you know, uh, this this gravitas that uh, comes with being able to say, oh, I've, I've talked to these uh, these officials from from Taiwan and uh, to make himself you know, seem like something that he's not. Uh, and you know, that's this kind of like this, these superficial profiles that a lot of 
candidates build for themselves uh, whenever they don't have the actual experience. They do things like this to try to build their Wikipedia page up so that it looks like they've actually done something. When in fact, as Neva said, all you did was just you know ratify something that's already been in effect, um, and in a way that you know may play into like your narrative around you know trying to you know fight the communist, but it really doesn't have anything to do with uh, his actual job as superintendent of public education and instruction in the state of Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Corporation Commission turns over thousands of documents related to the agency's response to Winter Storm Uri in February of 2021 when millions of residents were left without power. The release comes after a subpoena from Attorney General Gettner Drummond. Neva, what is the AG seeking here? Well, I mean, basically this looks at the uh, February 2021 winter storm uh, and the fact that uh, the result of that was that you had the u- utility com- companies using state bonds to pay off almost three billion dollars in fuel costs uh, and and to recover those funds ultimately from the from the customers over the next uh, 20 years I believe it is so it's a big deal it's something that's so complex again we start talking about these and you get in the weeds really quickly but the the upshot is that you have, thousands of emails, thousands of uh, uh, interagency and other uh, uh, communication out there that now the Attorney General's folks are going to be able to uh, go through and try to determine really what uh, what has gone on. There's a lot of there's a lot of things swirling out there, a lot of allegations going back and forth. But at the end of it, you've got to get into the you've got to get into the details and see exactly what was said, who said it, what the what the real timeline on all of this is, and I think uh, this is really again we're kind of a, on the uh, uh, just the front end of what will be a very long process in this particular case. Right, it'll be incredibly interesting to see what are. Uh, what's contained in these documents uh, and the information there. If, if we think back to the legislative session immediately after the, the ice storm, uh, you know, the legislators worked, I think, diligently to try to come up with a solution that would mean that Oklahoma ratepayers uh, did not have to absorb the full, what was believed to be the full cost of the, uh, the, the ice storm and their energy bills on a monthly basis. Um, and, you know, try to, you know, not everybody saw an increase, uh, but to minimize what that increase was going to be. Now, the question that the attorney general is asking is, did Oklahomans get the best deal here? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are, did, were the energy companies, the utility companies that were asking for this relief uh, in, a, in an effort to bring Oklahoma's energy bills you know, down from like the larger increases that they were telling us, were they telling us the full story? Or were they actually making a lot of money and then even making more money as a result of this deal that they made with the state of Oklahoma that was made on behalf of ratepayers? Um, the Corporation Commission, if you, you think we've got three Corporation Commissioners, Commissioner Anthony, uh, who has you know, been a, uh, just a, a champion of, of transparency at the Corporation Commission his entire time there, on his way out, not running for re-election. He's turned over all of these documents. It, it seemed unclear to me from the reports whether the other two commissioners had also turned over documents. Mm-hmm. I know that Commissioner Hyatt had, you know, had some compliments uh, that he was grateful that the attorney general was looking into this. Um, you know, I, I would bet that the attorney general uh, would you know, trade uh, Commissioner Hyatt's compliments for the actual compliance with the subpoena. So, uh, you know, we'll see, you know, Commissioner Anthony, again, turned over everything uh, in his possession. We'll see what happens with the other commissioners and with the commission itself and those documents. There's going to be a lot to go through, uh, both the attorney general's office, and I know that they've contracted with an outside law firm because this is an enormous piece of litigation. I know that when the attorney general asked for uh, bids for this 
uh, outside law firm. He was saying that this could be the largest piece of litigation in the state's history, mm-hmm. even surpassing the tobacco uh, the tobacco legislation or the, the tobacco litigation that led to the uh, tobacco uh, settlement trust fund that the state of Oklahoma continues uh, to see revenue coming into and is being expended for things like smoking cessation. So, this is a big deal. Um, a lot, again, just remains to be seen. What are these documents that are turned over? And then there were additional documents that the attorney general's office said. We don't. We're not asking you to turn these over right now, but you better hang on to them because mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna be looking at them later on in the course of this litigation. And even same question with Ryan Walters. Does this kind of set him up to run for governor in 2026? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I do think it was interesting talking about all of these emails and documents yeah. that Bob Anthony, um, he also gave his personal emails, mm-hmm. not just not just the uh, ones that were official, but also his personal emails. So that kind of sets the stage. You talk about uh, kind of the full transparency element. Uh, it, it kind of ups the you know, kind of ups that conversation across the board. The other thing is, when you when you really look at what ultimately, as you say, Ryan, the attorney general is advising these folks that that uh, before it's all said and done, that their notes or their drafts, uh, their personal notes from any meetings, and that includes meetings with staff or third parties. I mean, outside mm-hmm. folks. I mean, you look at all of those. Uh, all of those things added into the mix of just the official communication and what has gone on just relative to this one matter. I mean, you're talking about mountains of uh, mountains of information that have to be digested from the uh, attorney general staff. And moving forward, it will be interesting to see whether this triggers some conversation again from lawmakers when mm-hmm. they come back mm-hmm. because they get engaged in this. Obviously, they hear probably uh, quicker and at a uh, at a more intense level from constituents when you start seeing rate increases, when you start seeing things happening that affect the pocketbook. So they'll have a vested interest mm-hmm. in this conversation as well. And the critic, Bob Anthony, Commissioner Anthony, has been a critic of this since the very beginning. So mm-hmm. almost scathing emails I've gotten that's basically attacking his other two commissioners saying you're just turning yourself over to these these uh, the utility companies. Well, and I think that as as uh, you know, just you know, Oklahomans, I think that we can, uh, uh, you know, I think that we get the benefit of having somebody on the inside, you know, one of the commissioners who is going to make sure that Oklahomans at, at the very least have all the information. Who knew what? When did they know it? Did we really get the best deal or did we get, you know, sold a, a bill of goods by the utility companies? I think that having, if we had all three commissioners, uh, you know, kind of lined up uh, and, and opposing or, or at least, you know, slow playing a lot of this, uh, that would be a, this would be a very different dynamic. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is a commissioner on the inside who is saying, here's everything. And I'm going to challenge my other commissioners to put everything else out on the table as well. And if, you know, frankly, you know, what's, you know, if, if you're, if you're a public servant and you're, and you're holding these negotiations, what do you have to hide? Mm-hmm. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org. Hey there, this is Jenny May Harms with KOSU, where we want to talk with you, not just at you. One way we connect with listeners just like you is through social media, like Instagram. So follow us at KOSU Radio, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into KOSU reporting, station news, and even ticket giveaways. Just follow KOSU Radio on Instagram, and we'll see you there.